Hey guys, Pastor Jeremy here. I just wanted to take a minute and welcome you and thank you for joining us here. We're so excited you're able to join us online and we are thankful we can offer this opportunity. My prayer for you is that you are encouraged and challenged during your time with us as we worship the Lord together. We are so glad you're here with us and I hope you come ready to encounter God through His Word. Blessings. I'm going to read from James 3, 1 through 12 this morning. Now many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to also bridle his whole body. If we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole body as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by very small rudder wherever the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is sent out among members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But, whole, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessings and cursings, my brothers. These things ought not to be so. Does the spring pour forth the same opening from fresh, both fresh water and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Heavenly Father, God, as we open your word over these next few moments, Lord, I am reminded of how we often want to portray strength, we often want to portray capability, we often want to portray independence. But in this moment, Lord, we submit ourselves fully and completely to your lordship, to the Spirit's leadership, and Lord, we submit entirely to what you would have to reveal to us this morning through your word. Lord, may we remember that submitting to your word, even as James has already told us in this letter, Lord, it is not enough to simply hear the word but we must go from this place and do the word. So, Lord, I pray this morning that our, not just our minds would be changed by new information, but our hearts would be changed by Holy Spirit transformation. May it be so in the precious name of your Son, Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> So over the last several weeks, of course, we have been journeying through the epistle of James. And through this study, I have been struck by over and again, really, at how clearly James has laid out an argument for what should be considered genuine faith. In fact, this, the message of James, in a sense, kind of reached its pinnacle... In James chapter 1, verses 26 through 27. Now for those of you uh, who are extremely studious, and I know there are many of you who are uh, going to, in a moment, have this strong desire to, to flip your notes over and start scribbling stuff on the back to try to get all this, I want to let you know something. Um, most likely next week, if not next week, the week after that, everything I'm about to say, I'm going to give you in a printout. So don't, don't worry about writing it down. You'll have it. Uh, for your notes. 
But in James 1.26 and 27, you remember James tells us what constitutes what he refers to as pure and undefiled religion. Uh, I've been using the term genuine faith. It, it means the same thing. And he told us what it was. He says this in verses 26 and 27 of James 1. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So James gives us three attributes, three defining marks of what genuine faith looks like. He gives us, in fact, one in the negative and two in the positive. The first one he tells us is that uh, you, are to be, uh, you need to be able to control your tongue. The second is that you should help those who are helpless or to help the needy. And the third one is that you are to keep yourself unstained from the world. If you remember, um, I asked it in the form of a question. I said, if you think you are religious or have genuine faith, then you can ask yourselves these three questions. Do I control my tongue? Do I care for the helpless or, and or the needy? And third, do I remain holy in relation to the world? Okay, why are you talking about this so much? I would like to submit to you that those three things are the outline for the rest of the book of James. He actually gives us those three things and then the rest of the book of James falls under one of those three headings. And we looked at a section of that last week. See, many people believe that the book of James is, is a collection of, of basically Proverbs, uh, like uh, people will refer to it as the Proverbs of the New Testament, like it's a collection of just great wisdom sayings that uh, are just put together, and it's really great if you listen to them and follow them. But I would actually argue that James is not just compiling a bunch of great wisdom statements, but James is making a clear argument for what it looks like to be a believer. In fact, I would even argue James is giving us a clear outline of what it looks like for us to be able to evaluate whether our faith is genuine or not. See, the first thing, he, didn't, he do it, didn't do it in exact order. This is where James is certainly not the Apostle Paul. He didn't do it in exact order, but if you remember those three things, the first one was the ability to control your tongue, the second one was to help those who are in need, and the third one is to keep yourself unstained from the world. And then James, it begins in James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, and James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26, telling us what it looks like to care for those who are in need. In fact, in verses 1 through 13... He tells us that uh, he describes what it looks like if a rich man and a poor man were to come into the church. And about how it's wrong to make distinctions between those who are different than you. He's talking about those who are helpless, those who are needy, those who are in need of help. And then in verses 14 through 26, he begins his discussion on faith and works by saying, What good is it if a brother or sister comes to you and tells you that they are hungry or they need clothing and you tell them hey be filled be be clothed and then shut the door in their face well that's not really helping the needy that's not really helping those who are helpless so james begins his discussion of those three things by saying here's what it looks like to help those who are in need and now this morning and next week well not next week but the week after that the next two sermons today and, and the next one are about Controlling your tongue and what it looks like to control your speech. And this is going to hit really close to home. I'm just preparing you. As I said before, James certainly doesn't use kit gloves when he brings things forward. He is, he is unabashedly clear about what he knows to be true under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He tells us, in fact, in his first test of genuine faith, if anyone thinks he is religious, or if, if to put it in uh, my translation, if we 
think we are religious or have genuine faith and do not bridle our tongues, then we are lying to ourselves and our personal religion or our claim to faith in Christ is worthless or it has absolutely no meaning. That's what James tells us. That's the first test there. Now, we have certainly heard these phrases. We have heard phrases like, actions speak louder than words. Or, talk is cheap. Or maybe, when you were younger, also, possibly younger at heart, you used the phrase, you know what? Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And we recognize that there are certain instances where those could be true. Those could be used and, and be absolutely correct. However, everyone in this room knows that just as actions speak louder than words, words can still echo loudly, loudly decades later. We know that talk may be cheap, but sometimes what you say can cost you. And we also know that while sticks and stones may break your bones, sometimes words can destroy your spirit. In fact, there is most likely not a person in this room who cannot immediately think of a moment in your life where someone, and most likely it's far worse when it's this way, someone who is close to you said something that absolutely devastated your heart. I mean, it, it crushed you. And as painful as this memory is, and many in this room now, you're thinking of a moment that could have happened 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago. Why? Because words stick around. And as painful as that memory is, it is also true that there is almost most certainly not one person in this room, even though we may not want to admit it, there, may not, there is not one person in this room who has not at some point in time said something absolutely devastating to someone else. Something that hurt them deeply. Something that significantly damaged or even destroyed a relationship. Possibly something, if you're wondering what it was, it was that thing you said that as soon as it came out of your mouth, you wished you could pull it back in. Whatever situation it may be, we cannot disagree with this phrase. How we speak is absolutely crucial to who we are. In fact, our words have astounding potential, astounding potential for both good, wonderful, amazing, encouraging good things that you could say to other people. Our tongue also has the potential for absolutely horrifying evil. All you have to realize is that the same time on the same planet... You can have someone like Winston Churchill moving nations and someone like Adolf Hitler moving nations, both with their mouths. Absolutely astounding potential. And I want to tell you this morning that God cares how you speak. He cares how you speak. And it is absolutely important. Do you know why? Because genuine faith is seen in our ability to control our words. Genuine faith is seen in our ability to control our words. So what does the Lord want us to see and to know regarding how we speak? How we live our lives through speech? Because we really do. We live our lives through speech. If you tried to live your life and never speak, never communicate, you're not really living life. People don't know who you are. People don't know what you're thinking. People don't know what you're doing. We can see here through the Apostle James in this text that, that Brother C.A. read for us just a moment ago. When it comes to our words, first, we have a warning to look at. 
we have a warning to look at. Look at verse 1 of James 3. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with strictness, with greater strictness. Now, I want to throw something out here right now. Because most of the people in this room just relaxed a little bit. Okay, you relaxed because you said, oh, that's not me. See, and, and I'll tell you, because you've probably heard it before, everybody, see, this is where most guys preaching this message begin to talk about um, uh, ministers and pastors and those who are vocational teachers. Let me, let me throw this out there. This absolutely applies to that. I'm not saying that it doesn't. But see, I already studied this and I already applied it to myself. So I'm talking to you this morning. This passage, while he does mention teachers, look at what he says. He says, not many of you should become teachers. I'm going to just throw this out there. You know I'm from Texas, so I'm going to tell you in English, sometimes when we read the you, we don't really understand. Is that singular or is it plural? Let me just tell you, this is what James said. He said, not, let not many of y'all become teachers. Not many of y'all. That means y'all. Right? It means me too. I have to be careful. He's talking to everybody. Everybody that would read this letter. He's saying, hey, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach. Now, James includes himself. So that's why I include myself in this. And we certainly do. But we who teach will be judged with a stricter judgment or a greater strictness. Why? Because those who have the business, or we'll say the job, of speaking use primarily the most difficult thing on earth to control. They use their tongue more than anything. He's saying don't become a teacher, frankly, because you're putting yourself out there for greater scrutiny. You know how um, uh, <clears throat> people will say things like, well, hey, you know, he's, he's a man of few words, still waters run deep, that kind of thing. You do realize that when you're a teacher or a, a preacher or one who shares the word of God, uh, there is absolutely no way for you to be still waters. I can't be still waters every Sunday. Every Sunday you expect to come in this room and see me stand up here and do what? Open my mouth. And because of that, it's a greater strictness. Now, he says you're going to be judged with a greater strictness. We say, well, I thought, I thought the, uh, believers weren't going to be judged. You did not get that idea from the Bible. The Bible's actually very clear um, about judgment and the end of days. There are those... If you are not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be judged. You will stand before what is known as the great white throne of judgment. And you will be judged solely on your belief in the Lord Jesus Christ or lack thereof. And then you will be condemned to an eternity in hell because you did not trust him. That's, that's judgment. And most of us think that. So we say, well, I thought believers weren't going to be judged. No, the New Testament is replete with, uh, with examples and statements about how we are going to give an account for every idle word we have spoken. We are going to give an account before the Lord of everything we have done in this body, whether good, whether good or bad. See, the Bible doesn't say that you and I will not be judged. It just says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, the difference is this. We will both stand before the Lord one day, but then after all of those things and me giving an account, those who are not believers in Jesus Christ will be sent to an eternity in hell apart from him, and I will be standing there giving an account, and when I'm done, I might have my head hung low, but then Jesus comes over uh, around the corner, puts his arm around me and says, yeah, all that's true, but this one's mine. Okay, that's the difference. So you will be judged based off what you say and what you do. So he says, if you're a teacher, if you're one who does those things, you will incur a stricter judgment. Why? It, there's really a, a simple way to explain this. A simple way to explain this is this. Um, <clears throat> if you say a hundred words... You're held accountable for a hundred words. If you say a hundred million words, you're held accountable to a hundred million words. That's a stricter judgment. He's saying, you got a whole lot more to look at. 
I can tell you this, at the judgment, you probably don't want to be in line behind me. You don't. You don't want to be in line behind me because you're going to be there a minute. Right? There's a lot of stuff to go through. There's a lot of words to go through because that's what I do. And James is saying, what does what he say? Okay, so you're talking about preaching. No, listen. What James is expressing to us, because he says not many of you should do this, he's expressing to us that God takes our speech absolutely seriously. He takes it completely seriously. This is a warning. We need to be careful to recognize the serious nature of our speech. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19, is a verse that I know well because it's a verse, excuse me, is a verse that my father has quoted to me so many times in my life, it's not even funny. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19 says, when words are many, transgression is not lacking. Or to put it in the translation I learned it in, in many words, there is much transgression. To put it in modern language, you talk a lot, you're going to sin a lot. That's what he tells That's what Proverbs says. And so we're warned. We have to realize how seriously God takes our speech, the way we speak to one another in, in the church as believers in Christ, the way we speak to one another, the way we speak to others, and the way we speak about others. I didn't get any amens on that one. That's more of an oh me. As followers of Christ, we should be known for our truthful yet careful speech. God cares about our words, and we should as well. That's what James 3.1 tells us. We should care terribly about it. So now that we've had this clear warning from the Lord, <clears throat> we have to now realize that our lives, our lives are going to be a battle that we cannot avoid. We can't avoid it. Uh, we, we have to engage in it. See, not only if it, when it comes to our words do we have a warning we need to look at, but we have a journey to look toward. We have a journey to look toward. He tells us that we need to not be teachers. Many of us not need, uh, need not be teachers. And the reason is, verse 2, 4, he's saying this is the reason why. For we all stumble in many ways. Can I get an amen? We all stumble in many ways. We mess up. You will say the wrong thing. I know no one in here has ever said the wrong thing, but you will say the wrong thing. If you're married, men, you've said the wrong thing and didn't even know it. I'll tell you, you said the wrong thing two weeks ago and she ain't even told you you said the wrong thing yet. It'll come up eventually though. We all stumble in many ways. We do. We make mistakes. He says, in fact, look at what he says. For we all stumble in many ways... And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. Now, if you've been in the book of James before, you know that is that kind of should hearken back to chapter 1 where he tells us that um, we are in verse 4, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. He's saying, look, if you don't stumble in what you say, if you don't stumble in how you speak, you are perfect or mature this is someone who doesn't slander doesn't gossip isn't prone to be false isn't prone to say more than they should see and he says here you're perfect why you say, well maybe they're good in their speech but they do other things and here's the point james is going to make here If you are controlled in your speech, it actually proves that you you are controlled in every other part of your life. Because controlling your tongue is the hardest thing to do. 
He said, if you can do that, you can handle everything else. Look what he says. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. He's saying if you could control what comes out of your mouth, uh, for instance, if, you're, if you can control what comes out of your mouth, then you're not going to have a problem with gluttony because you can control what goes in your mouth. It's if you can control what comes out of your mouth, then you can control what your eyes see and what your hands do and where your feet go. You can control what you do. He is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. And then it's as if for James, and I know I don't ever do this, but it's as if he says bridle and it immediately makes him think of something else. So he says... Able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. So this is a positive statement about the tongue. He says, you've got this several thousand pound animal that is flying across the, the countryside and this, in, in dirt around a track here in Kentucky. And you've got this tiny little man sitting on top of it. And he's controlling this thousands of pound animal that is Pure muscle and speed with what? The piece of metal that's this big that sits in their mouth and all he has to do is barely pull in one direction or another and that massive animal with a thousand more times power than the person sitting on it will instantaneously turn. Why? Because James is saying what's in your mouth will control the rest of your body. So that's a positive Thing. Then he goes into another illustration. As I said, James, the pastor, he speaks in illustrations. He says, or look at the ships also, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. He says, you've got this floating city, and yet in the end, it's controlled by a small in that day and age, a small piece of wood that is simply turned one direction or another, ever so slightly. And what does it do? It controls the whole thing. He's saying, man, your tongue has absolute power. Extremely powerful, and it controls everything about you. In fact, he tells us in verse 5, so also, just like those two illustrations, so also the tongue is a small member Yet it boasts great things. It's able to do great things. So it's a small thing, a small member, as in a part of your body. A small member, but it boasts great things. So he's given us two positive examples. But then he goes into the negative. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. One little spark can set a whole countryside on fire. One little spark. In 1666, the Great London Fire displaced 70,000 people and destroyed over 85% of all the structures in the entire city of London. And it started... From a tiny little fire in a bakery. He says, your tongue, while it has all this amazing controlling power, like the bits, like the rudders, it also has amazing and astounding destructive power. You realize one word from you could actually damage somebody's life. One idle word, one coarse statement, one unfeeling and insensitive comment can actually cause people weeks and months and even years of pain. And in fact, it's interesting because he, he goes from saying the tongue is like a bit and the tongue is like a rudder and even here kind of a tongue is the tongue is like a fire to verse 6 and the tongue is a fire. He goes from saying it's like one to it is one. It's absolutely destructive. It's not just a spark. He says it's a fire. And then he says it is a world of unrighteousness. It is a world of unrighteousness. 
There is so much destruction that can be wrought simply by the words that come out of your mouth. The things you say can reap horrifying consequences. In fact, he says, not only is it a world of unrighteousness, he says the tongue is set among our members. That's because you can't get rid of it. It's there. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body. This is what I was referring to before. Staining the whole body. See, the tongue destroys true religion. That's what he says in chapter 1, verse 27, that you've got to control your tongue. So he says this stains the whole body. This stains everything. And this is a problem because in chapter 1, verse 27, what does he say we're supposed to do? We control our tongues, we help the needy, and we keep ourselves unstained from the world. And he just said, well, the problem you've got, the problem I've got, this is a battle, this is a journey we have to go through, is we're supposed to keep ourselves unstained from the world, but we have this little piece of flesh inside our mouth that constantly stains our whole body. See, we got a battle. We have a battle. He says it stains the whole body and is set on fire by hell. It is set on fire by hell. Setting on fire the entire course of life. Why? Because again, the tongue has the ability to wreak havoc through your entire life. It has the ability to stain everything. See, all you need to do is lie to a few people a couple of times. And even the most forgiving people will generally not believe a word you say ever again. I mean, that's one of the foundations of our legal system. Someone could testify for weeks on end and do fine and do a great job. And then at the very end, get caught in one small lie and the jury and anyone else is instructed to disregard the entire testimony that that person gave. Why? Because they lied once. We can't be certain they didn't lie any other time. It can stain the whole body. It sets on fire the course of your whole life. He's telling us that sin in our speech inevitably spreads to other areas of our life. If you are hateful and uncaring in your speech, you will be hateful and uncaring in your actions. No one is hateful and uncaring in their speech and then loving and gentle in their actions. Your speech will always show exactly how you act and vice versa. They're they're intrinsically connected. He says, in fact, that it is set on fire by hell. Literally, the Greek word there is Gehenna. He's saying that the tongue has such great destructive and filth of power and he receives it from the very embodiment of evil. Now, you say, this is strong. It's very strong, and it's strong because James is building an argument. He's going to tell us something in a minute. In fact, he says, for every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. He said, literally, every animal in the world has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. No human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. What's the picture there? James, the picture there is your tongue is like a poisonous snake lying in wait to strike its prey when it is least expecting. It's lying in wait to do that. How do we know that? This is, this is the way we know that's true. You, you're doing fine, everything's going great, you're having a good day, e- everything's awesome, your favorite sports team or whatever else is playing, or you're at a high school sports game or heaven forbid a little league game or something like that, good day, way to go, that's it, that's it. Then the umpire makes a bad call, referee makes a bad call. Opposing kid on the team throws a ball at your kid. Whatever it might be. And in that moment, what happens? All that goes out the window because that snake that's been lying in wait goes pow. And whatever 
was in there came flying out. Right? It's just lying in wait. It's just lying in wait. I said this a few weeks ago, but it's the truth. Matthew chapter 12, verse 34 tells us, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And as I said a few weeks ago, my dad used to say, what's down in the well comes up in the bucket. It's just laying there waiting. Why is that important? Why is it important to understand the amazing, devastating potential of our words? Why is it important to understand that our words, hear this, our words actually say more about us than we are saying? Our words evidence something about us. Our words are actually a clear and unvarnished look into who we are actually and not who we want to project to people. When it comes to our words, the third thing we see in this passage is that when it comes to our words, true faith produces good works. That's not right. When it comes to our words, we have a journey to look toward, and we have something else. I'll fill you in on the notes. What is it? We have a condition to look into. It's just not right in my notes. We have a condition to look into. He says here, with it, with what? With the tongue, with it we both bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. So we bless God, and we curse people. Well, I, don't, I don't do that. I'll put it in a modern day translation. <clears throat> Rogers, paraphrase, whatever you want to call it. He says, and with it, you show up on Sunday morning and sing worship songs and pray out loud and teach or talk in Sunday school and share and then go and sit down at lunch and gossip and run down and destroy other people with your words. He says, they're made in the likeness of God. That's actually what he says. And with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. He says, you can't bless God and then curse people who are made in the likeness of God. He's showing us the irony of someone who claims faith in Christ and blesses God with their mouth and then turns around and gossips or runs people down with the same mouth. In fact, he says something. He says, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. These things ought not to be so. In Greek, it says, with the same mouth, or from the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. Not so, comma, ought these things to be, brothers. Why is that important? Because in Greek, when he puts those two words at the beginning of the sentence, it's as if James is yelling through the page. He says, when you worship God with the same mouth that you run people down with, that you tear people apart with, that you gossip about, that you share rumors about, that you run your mouth about, he says that should never be found among the people of God. It ought not be so, brothers. And then he asks a rhetorical question, because it should be very obvious to us. He says, does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? I mean, we, physically, that doesn't happen. You could technically have a salt water spring you could technically have a fresh water spring and you could have a brackish water spring 
But you never have a spring that one day pours out fresh water, then the next day it's a salt water, then the next day it's a fresh water, then the next day it's a salt water. James says, so you don't get to have a mouth that blesses God and worships him and says they're a Christian, then runs their mouth and gossips about people. It's not the same. It's, it's, it, you, you cannot do that. Then he goes a little further. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? Or a grapevine produce figs. Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. It's interesting that he says a fig tree. I mean, again, it's a rhetorical question. It's understood no. He's saying a fig tree cannot produce olives. And a grapevine cannot produce figs. Why? Well, the simple truth is if a fig tree produces olives it's an olive tree that's what he's saying we say i don't like the implication you're getting at i'm sorry james said it but he says if a fig tree produces olives it's an olive tree if a grapevine produces figs it's not a grapevine it's a fig tree so he says at the end neither can a salt pond yield fresh water say okay wait so what you're saying no what God is saying through James is that if you do not control your mouth like a spirit-filled, God-controlled, word-saturated word believer should on a consistent basis, then you can walk around all day long saying you are a Christian, but the fruit you are producing says you're not. I could try to make it say something different. I wish it was a little softer, but it's not. Why? Because you end up being just like he said in chapter 1, verse 8. You are double-minded and you are unstable. You're trying to be two things at the same time that are complete opposites. You cannot be that. The one thing you can know about a circle, it could be different sizes. It could be different uh, diameters. It could have a different circumference. It could be different colors. It could be all those things, but a circle will never be a square. Because the moment it's a square, it is no longer a circle. You say, well, that seems pretty black and white. See, only our current culture and George Lucas in Star Wars wants us to believe that absolutes are a bad thing. But the Bible deals in absolutes. There is no gray area here. See, we get in trouble as the modern church because we think there are a whole lot more gray areas than there are. Gray area, do you want to live in the country or not live in the country? That is a gray area. Do you want to work in this profession or this profession? That may be a gray area. Do you speak like one who has been born again or do you speak like someone who has never tasted the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ? That is not a gray area. Well, I've never heard it like this before. That's because speech applies to all of us and we don't like to talk about it. See, there are some in this room, even this morning, you're hearing this. And you're a wife who has been belittling and disrespectful to your husband. Or you're a mom who has been uncontrolled with her speech toward her children. Or maybe you're a young person. And you've been disrespectful or dishonoring to your parents with your words. Or... Since I am one, so I'm going to spend more time on this. 
You're a husband who's been short, biting, disrespectful, insensitive, or uncaring with words towards your wife, maybe even this morning on the way to church. Or you're a dad who's been overbearing, harsh, dismissive, damaging, and even devastating with your words towards your children. Or Christ follower, you have used words to tear down, gossip, lie, exaggerate, disparage, sow discord, or hurt another person in this church or outside of this church. Whatever category you fall into this morning, as a believer, we have to remember that God takes our, takes our speech seriously. He takes it extremely seriously. And the genuine nature of our faith is evident through how we speak. I'm glad, there's a phrase in here, and I skipped over it on purpose. I didn't really emphasize it because I wanted to emphasize it here. But he says, just a little bit back. For every kind of beast, in verse 7, and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. Let me read it again with an emphasis I think is extremely important. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. You cannot do this, and I cannot do this by simply trying harder. You and I cannot say, I'm going to just buckle down and really fix this. No human being can tame the tongue. He said that as clear as day. This would be a horrific message if it was your tongue and your speech is absolutely terrible and there is nothing you can do about it and there is no way out. Here's the thing, that's not the message. The message is your tongue and my tongue are absolutely devastatingly evil and there is nothing we can do about it, but there is something he can do about it. That's the message. That's the hope. This is not a message about, hey, your speech is bad, so fix it. It's, hey, your speech is evidence of something else. You need to go to the Lord and plead with Him to overpower your life and to give you self-control. Because self-control of speech, as long as self-control of everything else, is referred to in the New Testament as a fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of the flesh. This is something that happens when the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your life and you give uh, allegiance to Him and you give lordship over to Christ and you let Him rule your life. Then you can control your speech. But it is not, as Paul said, it is not I, but Christ in me. So what do you do? If you know you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, what do you do? The word confess means to agree. You agree. Man. I have fallen prey to that. I don't want to be like that. You confess, Lord, I'm, I have failed. I have failed in this. And then you come to the Lord. And you turn from it. Trusting in Him and following the leading of the Holy Spirit from this point on. That's confession and repentance. You know what the Bible says? That if you are, if you confess your sins, He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Run to Him this morning, believer, and say, God, I want my speech to evidence what you have done in my heart. But maybe there are those here this morning, the way you speak, the way you speak about others or to others, it doesn't fit this ideal. The Lord is showing you this morning that the faith you claim is not genuine because of the words you use. 
He reveals the issue. And this is the issue. If you go away from this place, I hope you remember one thing. James is not telling us that we have a speech problem. James is telling us that our speech reveals that we have a heart problem. You cannot be made right before God by fixing your speech. You can only be made right before God by allowing him to fix your heart. And then he'll change your speech. If you've never submitted yourself to the lordship of Jesus Christ, that's what it means. The lordship of Jesus Christ means he's in charge now, which means he controls my tongue. He controls what I say and when I say it and how I say it and not me. It's an issue that can never be fixed by human means. It can only be fixed by the Lord Jesus Christ. And the reason you say, well, my life doesn't look like that. My life, my words evidence this. It's not because you need to have your speech fixed. It is because this morning you need to be changed by the good news of Jesus Christ. And what that means is simple. We try to complicate it. It's simple. Your heart needs to be changed. And the only one that can change it is Jesus. So this morning you take your heart and you give it to him. That is your will. That is your emotions. That is your whole life. You give it to him and you say, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to worship you from now on. Forgive me of my sins. I want to follow you. And then the amazing thing is he will come into your life and he will change you. So we're always trying to change ourselves on the outside. But you cannot change yourself from the outside in. What you need is Jesus to come and change you from the inside out. And he can do that this morning. If you will simply turn to him. We are so grateful you've spent the last several minutes with us. And I hope you were encouraged in your walk with Jesus Christ. If you're a member of another church, I pray that this experience would be supplemental to your fellowship and service in your local body. If you're not currently connected to a local church and you live in the Bowling Green area, we would love to welcome you in person at Eastwood at one of our campuses on Sunday at 9.30 or 11. You can find all the information you need on our website, www.eastwoodbc.org. Or you can contact us to get answers to your questions. Again, I pray you were encouraged during your time with us. May you be richly blessed in Christ.